Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, well, hello, hello, hello. I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Today we are discussing a religion or organization that everyone knows about, but very few people really know about or understand, and that's uh, Kingdom Hall or Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, currently, there are over 19 million people who are counted as members of Jehovah Witnesses congregations around the world today, and there are more than 1 billion hours is spent out witnessing by Jehovah Witnesses every year. But on average, there are about 40,000 Jehovah Witnesses that are disfellowshipped by the congregation annually because of, quote unquote, sins that remain unrepentant. My guest today is the author of the book Kingdom Hall No More, Mr. Daniel Chamberlain, a.k.a. Geechee Dan, who grew up for 16 years as a Jehovah Witness and attending the Kingdom Hall in New York. He also grew up in New York during the time of the hip-hop evolution and the two worlds collided. Geechee Dan is here today to discuss his life and experiences in Kingdom Hall and what led him to getting disfellowshipped and shunned from the organization in 1990. I'm so thankful that he has taken the time and is sharing today, and I extend a very big welcome his way. Mr. Chamberlain, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Hey. Hey, hey, how you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm well, well. Am I coming in well for you? Yes, you are. Okay, okay. So I'm speaking to you from Atlanta, but as I mentioned, you are um, originally from New York, so let's take some time. I've spent a lot of time over the past few years with guests from New York, and I always enjoy the energy that you guys bring. So let's let's rep. Where are you from exactly in New York? I'm from Queens. Okay, okay. So there's a lot of stuff that happened out that way. Uh, that, that was a very uh, fundamental area for a lot of things there. And... Uh, a lot of historical moments, diversity of people, climates, and all of that stuff. And uh, one of the longtime permanent residents of New York is Kingdom Hall. The headquarters is there, right? That's correct. The headquarters is uh, downtown Brooklyn. Okay, downtown Brooklyn. How far is that away from where you were? Uh, maybe about an hour. Okay, about an hour. And uh, so if I read correctly, you weren't born into Kingdom Hall. It kind of happened later on. Uh, yes, um, it happened around in 1974 for me. My father, my mother was going, my mother was studying with the Jehovah Witnesses in 1974 along with my godmother. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father used to drop off my mother, you know, to the meetings on, you know, at that time they had a book study on okay. Tuesday night. So it was Tuesday night, it was Thursday night, theocratic ministry school meeting. And it was Sunday on, you know, Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon uh, for the meeting, for the Sunday, you know, Sunday meetings. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, my mother was like, you know, um, you're coming with me to the hall. My mother, my father would be like, no, no, Louise, <laughs> Dan, you stay with me. But, you know, my sister, Denise, you know, that used to live with us back the, at that time, she, my sister you know, was going with um, with my mother, so I stayed with my father. My father kind of, you know, I can't, you know, like protected me from that. He okay. didn't want me to be involved with that at that time. Now, 1974 is is um, very important because um, at that time, as I was as I stated, my mother was, you know, she just started studying with them, and um, as she started studying with them, she was growing into, um, you know, getting more, taking it more serious. Mm-hmm. So now August comes, I just turned seven years old and I had a birthday party for myself. I had, uh, I remember, I remember like it was yesterday. I had, I had steak, I had black beans, I had, um, uh, I believe I had rice or something like that, and I had a cake. Mm-hmm. And my mother made the announcement, you know, after the party, after my birthday was over that, that evening, as we was cleaning up the kitchen, she stated that, you know, this was the this will be the last birthday celebration for her. Wow. That she's going to be celebrating. And um, I was like, okay, all right. And then 
September 1st, late, we went to Acapulco. We went to Mexico for vacationing at the last minute. My father used to work for Pan Am Airlines at the time, at, and he worked at JFK International Airport in Jamaica, Queens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that time, you know, you can, you know, my father was um, was pretty stable, and, um, you know, his, his job, you know, he was that type of a person. He was very smart, mm-hmm. gifted, you know, and he could take days off from work. He could pay for them. Um, we go to we we'd go to Jones Beach and hang out. And, you know, he just had that type of a job where he can just, just take off time or he can, um, you know, do what, pretty, pretty much do what he wanted to do. Cool. And so at the last minute, my mother, you know, suggested that we go to Acapulco. And mm-hmm. we were supposed to go to... Um, we were supposed to go to New Jersey for my uncle's um, barbecue birthday, which at his birthday was September 1st. Okay. So it's, so we, we had went the year prior to that, two years prior to that, we had went to New Jersey. But this year, my mother was you know strong, strongly against going to any type of a birthday celebration right now at that time. So... My, you know, my father was like, okay, fine, you know. Um, so at the last minute, we go to Mexico, and unfortunately, my father lo- lost his life on the mm. first. He on died. your uncle's birthday, wow! On my uncle's birthday, where we were supposed to be at. Oh my goodness! And so, funeral comes for my father, and my father, my mother, you know, um. The eulogy when everything was done at the Kingdom Hall. And was your father was your father a Jehovah? No, my my father wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, but at that time they allowed um you know like being that she was studying with one of the sisters in the Kingdom Hall, um they felt that you know they they'll do a gesture for her mm-hmm. you know to to have the services at the Kingdom Hall, and because they I guess they felt like she was you know serious about becoming a Jehovah's Witness, which she ended up doing two months later in November. Okay. Her and my godmother got baptized on November, uh, I believe it was November 4th, 1974. They got both bat- baptized and became uh, published, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. Now, At this is, Jehovah's you're talking November 1974. Um, I, the timing of everything is, is so very... Uh, odd, crucial, coincidental, or whatever, you know, that your mother's kind of embracing all of this, because 1975 is a very important year for Jehovah Witnesses, right? That's correct. That was correct, and that was another reason my mother was a little bit more gun-ho on, you know, becoming a Jehovah's Witness based upon her studying with them at that time, and at that time, Jehovah Witnesses was uh, putting out there that Armageddon was coming in 1975. Mm-hmm. That and um, and so, you know, they took that, you know, per the dates that Jehovah mm-hmm. Witnesses would, you know, they was lining up the dates throughout the years, and they and they came up to the conclusion that um, from where they come from, from where they calculating from the dates and time that. This was the time that Jesus and Satan was going to have that fight in in in, uh, in heaven, and 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 um, basically, you know, uh, Armageddon was going to come, and um, everybody was going to come back from the dead. Everybody, mm-hmm. all the graveyards, all the graveyards was going to come back from, you know, everybody from that was that had died was going to come back to life, pretty okay. much. So I'm thinking, my mother is telling me this. My mother is telling me, your father's body is still warm. Uh uh-uh. uh. Your father just recently died, but don't worry, we have the, we have the, you know, the earthly hope. There's a heavenly hope for 144,000, and there's the earthly hope for the great crowd. So your father is going to be part of that great crowd of individuals that's going to come back to life once Armageddon occurs and, 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 um, Jesus, um, wins and is victorious. And so 
day now, being that he just he just passed away in October of 1974. Any day now, in 1975, we're going to be experiencing, uh, you know, the opening up of the graveyards, and so I'm like, I'm seven years old, mm-hmm. and I'm this, and and I was close to my father. So mm-hmm. when she tells me this, I'm kind of believing her to a, mm-hmm. to an extent, you know. I'm, well, okay, I, I found it kind of eerie, you know. But mm-hmm. my mother, you know, this is something my mother's telling me. This is what you know the organization has put out there. So I'm kind of like, okay, well, so the organization was, you know, preparing the followers. It was every everybody, all the witnesses from was was preparing for this, and um, you know they were selling. You know, some witnesses publicly was selling their homes and. Um, they wasn't pursuing, you know, further further their careers. You know, they, you know, stopped college or was preparing, you know, for what's going to happen. Her, mm-hmm. her top leaders of the Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. So we go. So 1975 comes, and of course, it happened. Mm. Well, we're 2015 now, so I'm assuming that uh, it didn't happen, right? I'm assuming correct. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. So now, I, I, and so, and with, when that happened, when that happened in 1975, now I'm going to a psychiatrist. Mm. I'm going to a psychiatrist for one because the effect of my father's death had, and had had a uh, had had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, it it messed me up a little mentally and emotionally. Understandable. Um, Understandable. As far as you know, because you know, my father was and I, like I stated, we, we were close, and so now I'm going to a psychiatrist for like a double whammy, you know. Mm-hmm. The psychiatrist, along with you know, with just what happened with my father. Hey, by the way, so um, <laughs> I thought this was gonna be it. <laughs> yeah, my father's supposed to be coming back to the psychiatrist. Like, huh? Your uh, in the grave, I'm like, yeah, that's what my mother told me. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses said. Wow. So, um, my the reason, the reason that the real reason why I was going to a psychiatrist was because my mother thought that my father had told me a secret. Mm. Like she wanted to know to cover her tracks. Hey, did you know your father say anything to you? Did you know that this was going? Did he? Did he know this was going? This was going to happen, and and uh, you know, told you, you know, a secret, or told you that you know I might kill him. With this, you know, uh-huh. my mother, my mother was because on the real, um, my mother was being investigated. My mother was investigated for my father's death in New York mm-hmm. for eight months by NYPD. Mm. And um, so it was. My mother had took out life insurance policies before he he had passed away. She took out about three or four oh, uh, wow. life insurance. So a lot of stuff was going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Um, months, be, a couple months before that, he you know he passed away. So um, you know, I guess that she wanted to make sure that she covered her tracks, so to speak. Gotcha. So she had suggested to the psychiatrist to hypnotize me mm-hmm. because there might be something in my subconscious that can, might can, um, you know, um, impl- implicate her in something. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want that, to, you know, to, to come back at her later on in, in the years, later on, and you know, in, in life. So the psychiatrist said, well, you know, it, I don't think there's anything in his subconscious because everything that he's been telling me for the last couple of months has been um, consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, this boy is telling me the story of what happened and he's been consistent as far as time, as far as the date, as far as the, what he's been telling me, as far as what he saw, who he spoke to before your father passed away, before, you know, with the incident. Mm-hmm. He's consistent all the time. So, I doubt there's anything in his subconscious that's going to come out to implicate or or, or, or um, think that anything is different in his story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Gitchida, hold on right there for one second. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about your father's death. So stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back. Today I'm hanging out with the author of the book, uh, Kingdom Hall No More, Mr. Daniel Chamberlain, a.k.a. Geechee Dan. And before the break, we were talking about the the death of your father and kind of the cloud of suspicion that was kind of hanging around your mom. Now, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit just so I make sure uh, I'm kind of clear. So back when you guys went to Mexico, uh, your father... I guess it was kind of awkward or uh, unusual or suspect how he passed. And is it? Do you think it's because, or has there been any clarity? Was it because of her transitioning into the Jehovah Witness thing, or were there other issues? I think there was other issues. Okay. Um, okay. After, after speaking to different family um, members, recently speaking to family members and spoke to some, you know, family as I was growing up. Um, I've heard stories um, uh, of stories of you know abuse, physical okay. abuse was going on, and my mother uh, was put in. Um, my father had um, physically abused my mother okay. around in 1974 and blackened her eyes and okay. her eye. Now I don't know. Now when I asked my mother about it, she 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 um, she says that's not true. But my uncle, her brother. My brother, my brother, my oldest brother, and um, my sister—they um, all confirmed that that was true. Okay. And so, um, you know, with all the stuff that was going on behind closed doors, I did see or witness some stuff that was going on, arguments, mm-hmm. and a lot of you know, you know, drinking with him. And I, like I said, I was always with him, so I did experience some stuff, um, and I thought it was normal, you know, at the uh-huh. time. And you know, however, um, there was some, you know, stuff that I did not see that I didn't, I wasn't aware about, and so okay. I got like, older to understand that, you know. Okay, but so I let's go back. Think, uh, yeah. Go ahead. So I want to go back. So you're, you're seven years old. You're you're at the psychiatrist. We're dealing with the. Uh, prophecy did not happen you're kind of newly in the whole jehovah witness game um so i mean what's life for you like then at this point you're still kind of trying to figure out your place without your father and everything and the, the whole if i'm understanding correctly jehovah witness lifestyle uh whatever you want it, it takes up a lot of time especially for a young person right it's very rigid you know, okay. for a young guy, you know, for somebody, you know, for a kid, an adolescent, it's it's horrible. You know, you can <laughs> celebrate your birthday no more. You, you you're going to three meetings a week, and you're not celebrating. You can't watch certain cartoons no more. I I couldn't watch. Like for instance, um, when my father died, immediately after that, I had to start going in field service. You know, and I, for for you know, people that don't know, what is field service? That is that is go to door to door ministry. Okay, okay. When they come to your door Saturday morning or Sunday or you know during the week early in the morning, they knock on your door. Mm-hmm. That's door to door ministry. Okay. There's door to there's door to door ministry, and then there is um you know um morning ministry where you go out in um in public at the railroad station or the bus terminal. Or you go in front of a department store or street, it's called street witnessing. Okay. So I had to start, you know, partaking in door to door ministry on Saturdays and Sundays. And sometimes I started going to street witnessing with, um, the ones that were, you know, that were really like pioneers. They were called pioneers. And you're doing this at eight years old? Seven, eight, yes, around eight. Around eight, oh. between eight and thirteen years old. So, is there is there after school going out and and playing on your bike and and hanging out with the kids? You know, I, I, I I had to fit that in. <laughs> <laughs> um, my mother was, you know, 
she wasn't so hard on me at that time around, you know, between, um, I'll say between nine and 13. She was, okay. a, she was hard on me, you know, but she wasn't that hard on me. Mm-hmm. The, the problem started coming when I stayed, when I started staying with other witnesses for the summer. My mother used to work, she used, she used to work nights as a nurse. She was a, a home attendant nurse. And so she had to stay with her patient in her, in the home for, you know, 12 hour shifts. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes she'd stay the whole weekend or she'd stay the whole week. And so that enabled her to have me stay with other witnesses that were more serious, more zealous. You know, they were more into, into the, into the religion or cult. Okay. They was more into it than she was. She was a newbie, so okay. to speak. But they had people that was like 10 years, you know, 15 years into it, and they took it very serious. And so when I stayed with them for the summer, for for example, I stayed with a lady by the name of Sister Mintz mm-hmm. at that time for a summer. And Sister Mintz was like, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning, street witnesses. <laughs> the daily, you know, the daily, read the daily text. Mm-hmm. Breakfast. Then we go street witnessing. Then we go and go start doing the door-to-door ministry at nine thirty. And then we will take a break for lunch. And then we do afternoon witnessing. Then we come back and get ready for the book study. And then we do this all over again at five thirty in the morning. So in the oh. meantime, when I'm with her, I can't bring my comic books with me. I can't watch the Twilight Zone. I can't watch. Um, there was a show called Joker's Wild. Mm-hmm. On TV at that time, I couldn't watch Joker's Wild. I couldn't watch, um, I love Lucy, um, no, nah, I love Lucy. I couldn't watch, um, I Dream of Genie. Mm-hmm. I couldn't watch, um, the other show, not I Dream of Genie, but, um, Bewitched. I couldn't oh. watch Bewitched. I couldn't watch Smurf cartoons. It was ridiculous. It's like, you know, the Twilight Zone is safe. I thought. So my question is, you're still going to school, I'm assuming. So not everybody you go to school with is Jehovah Witness. So there has to be some co-mingling and some some infiltration of some non-Jehovah Witness experiences. How how did you have friends that? No, I had no friends. I couldn't celebrate my birthday at school. I couldn't celebrate other birthdays. Well, you know, the kids, you know, when they had cake and ice cream and candles, I had to leave the room. Wow. Um, wow. There was a participation of the Ouija board at that time. And when I was in, um, I believe I was in fifth grade at that uh, fourth, fifth grade. And I had to leave the room. I couldn't partake in, you know, the Ouija board. I couldn't partake in Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays. Any holidays, I couldn't partake in. So I had to, it was kind of, you know, my mother would tell the principal and, you know, the school administrators, hey, make sure that my son is removed from the classroom when any birthday celebrations are going on, on any Christmas gifts or opening or, you know, holidays, Thanksgiving, such as that, you know. Now, I got the time off, you know, I got to enjoy the vacation time. (laughs) But, you know, as far as any, you know, any activities going on in school that was that was dead my mother made sure that i i didn't you know you know partake in anything now there was you know at some times there were people that was they would slide me a slice of cake you know or you know give me some of the food that they had along with the cake but as far as you know happy birthday to you no i couldn't (laughs) see the flag um i didn't even know the words to the to the national anthem until i got until i was grown oh wow because I wasn't, you know, um, I, I wasn't, I was told now I couldn't salute the flag either as well. Uh-huh. I didn't know the, um, you know, the national anthem. I didn't know anything about where my hand goes. And I used to uh-huh. put my hand on the, on the wrong side of my <laughs> yeah. Uh Now, you know, you mentioned your mom, you know, she was a nurse and she had this, this job that kind of kept her from the house sometimes. But you also mentioned Sister Mint and this schedule that she seemed to keep, you know, getting up at 630 in the morning. It doesn't seem like for the 
devout Jehovah Witness, there's any room for um, gathering income to keep a roof over your head. How do I mean? It seems like all your time is spent in this this world. How how are they financially living? If you're out here on the streets witnessing and field service, and you got meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and well, um, majority at the, at that time, a majority was working. There was okay. a lot of witnesses working, and then there were some that were retired already. Okay. Just a so okay. you know, a lot of the ones that were retired, um, they were the ones that were you know special pioneers. Okay. Or um, you know, they would, they did, you know, Bible studies during the week. They did street witnessing. You know, they was able to, um, have their schedule, you know, so that they can do all this, all the activities and all, all, you know, be really zealous in, in the truth, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and in doing all these activities, my mother, you know, she was a newbie and she, you know, she worked. She had to work now. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, she found the, she found the, she found, she tried to find a balance in it. Okay. And, um, and I got thrown in the loop, so to speak. So, <laughs> you know, if my mother, if my mother had to, if I had to go to my mother's job and she had to sneak me in, which she had done several times, she had to sneak me in her, in her patient's home or apartment. Okay. Then that's what she had to do. If okay, I had to sleep in the car, then I had to sleep in the car. Uh huh. That's single mother syndrome. So yeah, we've been through that. She's trying to combine it all together and doing the best she can. I understand. Yeah. We're gonna take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more Get You Down right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Don't Box Me In. Today I'm hanging out with each Dan who wrote the book, Kingdom Home No More. And uh, we're talking about uh, his introduction, lifestyle uh, with Jehovah Witness. Now, you said your mother was kind of lax on you until you were about 13, and then she kind of got strict with it. Um, and I want to make sure I, I can kind of cover everything today. So, right, right. Um, you got you have some other things that start to happen to you. Like I said, New York. There, there was a lot of things going on in New York at that time. One of the things was the development of the hip hop scene in New York. Now, how does that coincide? When did when did you get introduced to hip hop? I got introduced into hip hop. I say around there were two incidents. 1977, I went to a park jam in Lincoln Park in Queens, and I got my first experience of hip-hop, um, experience of hip-hop there in the Queens way, and then when I stayed in the Bronx, I would say 1979, 1980, I used to stay at um, my mother's girlfriend's house. Her name was, um, I call her Hattie, mm-hmm. Aunt Hattie. Uh, that was my mother's friend, one of my mother's best friends, and she was um, you know, watching over me because mm-hmm. my mother had several people watching. Okay. Um, during the week and mm-hmm. during the summer and on the weekends, so I was all over the place. I, I have <laughs> to say that, you know, say about fifteen, ten to fifteen different families. Okay. So I enjoyed staying with Patty because she wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. So that meant I didn't go to the hall on the weekend. I didn't have to partake in any activities because she wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. All right. So when I stayed with her, it was a little bit more uh, relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have to get up. I could watch pretty much anything I wanted to watch and reason, you know, at her home, and her apartment. And she lived across the street from a park right around the corner from uh, Arlington Avenue. She lived on Britain Street, and there was a park there. And so when I go to the park, you know, she'll watch out the window, and I'll be in the park, and they would be there in the park. And um, that's when I would experience, um, you know, hip-hop in an in a, in a authentic, more of an authentic way, because they were rocking, you know, break beats. 
at that time and they was DJing and everything. And um as that around that time I started collecting um hip hop tape that was floating around, you know, New York at that time. And one of my first tapes that I collected was a Cold Crush Four tape. Ah yes. And um they was at the Treacherous Three second anniversary at Harlem World and so I started I collected that tape and then um a year later, two years later I collected the Busy B Kumo D battle. Mm-hmm. And then I collected, you know, Funky Four tapes. So I started um, you know, collecting tape and that's when I started getting into hip hop. Because the tape was like, wow, I, I want to do what they doing. So I used to go home, and I used to say, I used to act like I was at the party. <laughs> I, I act like, like everything I heard at the tape, I envisioned myself at the at the party, mm-hmm. and I and I found myself thinking what they were doing, and I added my rhymes, well, at least my DJ Dan. I, I started rhyming and rapping and getting into you know saying rhymes. At first, I would say their rhymes, and then I would change up and say my rhymes. Mm-hmm. And add my name. And I'd say, Gucci Dan's in the place to be instead of, them, instead of them saying, you know, Grandmaster Cass or, you know, or mm-hmm. LA Sunshine or Kumo D, I would say Gucci Dan. And I'd just change everything to say it was me. And, um, that's when I started getting real, you know, heavy into it, and I started loving it. Um, mm-hmm. radio shows at the time, Mr. Magic was coming on. Zulu Beats was coming on. Um, Supreme Team Radio Show was coming on. So we started. I started hearing a lot of more hip hop being played, underground hip hop being played on the radio, and that was, you know, that was new at that time. Okay. You know, radio wasn't uh, receptive to playing hip hop on the radio at that time. So Mr. Magic, you know. Um, you know, I give credit to Mr. Magic and, you know, the Supreme Team and, you know, different individuals who started mm-hmm. playing hip-hop on the radio, at, you know, late at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think so New York was a very fundamental breeding ground for that. And I remember, I'm 46, I, I'm very proud of being 46, but I remember growing up and you would only hear it, like, real late at night. You'd have to stay up, like, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and then you could hear, you know, some, right. you know, but we stayed up for it, you know, um. We was very, yeah, we were very, we wanted to hear it, and so we stayed up to three, four in the morning, like I did. Mm-hmm. And I started taping, and I started taping the Supreme Team show. I started taping Mr. Magic. I started taping um, Zulu Beats for Africa Islam. And I, my mother would be upstairs sleeping. I'd be downstairs taping all this, and I got to go to school <laughs> this morning. So when I go to school, you know, they're like, why are you so tired? I'm like, man, I'm taping up. I was, I, was up, I was up to four in the morning taping the Zulu Beats, <laughs> Africa Islam, and, and the Supreme Team show, and Jerry Rock, and, and um, all these other guys that was, you know, playing hip-hop at night. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started playing, the, you know, I, I started, you know, collecting tapes from, mm-hmm. you know, the recordings that I taped from these shows. And so- then I, I would go, you know, in the neighborhood, and... Around 1983, I believe 1983, I went at LL. At that time, his name was, his name was Cool J. Or Todd James. James. Yeah, James Todd Smith. James Todd, yeah. I went at him, and I had a rhyme about him. And I said a rhyme, I said, it's not a fable, and it's not a myth. Cool J, real name is James Todd Smith, but when it comes to rapping, <laughs> You can't compare because his hairline is back there. Oh, <laughs> hence the Kangos, right? <laughs> right, because he's in the house all the time. And, um, and so he heard about it, and Rodney and Big Keith and Little Keith and all them guys on the other side of Farmers Boulevard that lived on Jordan and Illion and Mangan, that was his people's. I lived on the side where Little Giant was on. By O'Connell Park. I live closer to O'Connell Park and Murdoch Avenue on that side of Farmers Boulevard. And, and so when I came to the black and white club on 112th Avenue and, and Farmers Boulevard, I came in there and I was rhyming up Catch the Beat, me mm-hmm. and Felton, Felio from 112th Avenue. We was rhyming and bugging out and I said the rhyme. 
So I, I, I must have said, I said the rhyme, and then he came, his boys came in later on that evening, that night, and they was like, yo, that's the dude right there. And me and him had words, and then he, me and him was going, was about to go at it, and then Lucius, I don't know if you know Lucius, but Lucius mm. was, everyone knew Lucius, and um, no one didn't want to get into it with him, so he threw a chair in the middle between us, and the fight was over, and then we was, we wasn't cool for a minute, and then <laughs> the next couple of days later, he was over there on, um, well, um, Todd was on with his, with his friends on Farmer's Boulevard near the game room, near the fish spot. Um, Carson's family had on Jordan Avenue, and he was right there on the corner, and he called me over. He said, yo, come here, man, come here. And so we, we talked, there's no beef, no beef. Mm-hmm. And we became friends from that day on. We became we became, you know, real cool. And that's how I started getting into hip hop. Um, I started, um, you know, dressing with Zulu beads. I got down with Zulu Nation. I used to go to the Zulu Nation meetings they had at the Bronx River Projects in the Bronx mm-hmm. on Tuesday afternoons after school. Um, me and another friend from my high school, I used to go to, I went to Jackson for about six months and then I transferred to Francis Lewis High School. So, um, you know, at that time, um, Bambada and, um, you know, all the Zulus had meetings at Bronx River, the project on Tuesday, Tuesday evening. I believe it was at 7 o'clock or 7.30. And then um, I would come back to, back to Queens. And then I would go to the Kingdom Hall or, um, you know, the book study or Thursday night meetings. So now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Jehovah's Witness by association because of my mother and then now I'm into hip hop and I'm a Zulu and you know I'm in, into Zulu Nation and I'm wearing beads and I'm wearing graffiti hats I had a graffiti hat made for Gucci Dan and you know I started getting into it I started yeah I mean I wasn't as good as you know as Mikey B or, or LL at the time but I was trying to get there you know I was a little confident <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I just started Choosing names, and everybody say, you know, you look like a little geek. Uh, uh, I was gonna say, there's a movie I remember, a little black exploitation movie I remember. I'm going blank now, but one of the characters, his name was Geechee Dan. Yeah, I thought Saturday Night. That was one of my favorite movies at that time. Let's do it. Let's do it again. And let's do it again, Geechee Dan. Yeah. So my name is Daniel, and uh-huh. so you know, um, it kind of just fit. Mm-hmm. So that's what. DC Band became born. This was like 1983, 1984, I'd say. Everybody's like, yo, DC. Everybody had, everyone had nicknames at the time, so it caused a fit. And no one, no one was named DC Band. I was the only one that was named, that had that name. So everybody knew me, and everybody would associate that name. They was like, oh, you must be talking about the guy from Hollis. Cause he's the only one that was named DC Band. So I just became DC Band. And that's how so, I started. Um, getting to hip hop at that time. Okay, so now you're the you're the hip hop Jehovah. Is, is, is that even possible? Yeah, I was rhyming in front of the hall. Uh, <laughs> I was rhyming in front of Jehovah Witness. You know, oh, I was rhyming in the conventions. I was, you know, I was, I was rhyming in the park, in the Connor Park. Um, I started rhyming in front of my house. I started rhyming on farmers, and I started getting back, and then I, and then. I started rhyming, um, there was a radio station at Delphi University called WBAU 90.3 FM in Long Island. And this is the same college that Chuck D attended for his um, undergraduate degree. I believe it's in communications, if if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And um, Dr. Dre, there's Stephanie, who was the movie, the movie, he's the music, um, for Eddie Murphy's movie, they had, uh, what was her name? Uh, I forgot the name of the movie. Halle, Halle Berry was in, in the movie. That movie with Halle Berry and Eddie Murphy. What was that Adam one? Griffin and Martin Lawrence. Uh, Boomerang. Oh, okay, okay. Bill Stephanie had the, the music. Robin Givens uh, was in the show. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember now. He was the uh, producer. He produced the music for that, uh, for the soundtrack for the movie. And so he, it's a product of um, from from BAU, and I used to listen to his show at at the time while he was in college. And so um, I was like, "Wow, this 
was a nice show. You know, they playing hip hop as well. And they had uh, a crew called Spectrum City that promoted parties and they did shows in you know, for all their Long Island crews and groups, MCs and DJs and everybody that was into hip hop in Long Island. So it was um, you know, different at the time. Um Chuck Chuck D's name was Chucky D and Flavor <laughs> Flavor Flavor was M C DJ Flavor and you know, Shockley, the Bomb Squad, Shockley's brother, they all was a product of the radio station. Um, Dr. Dre from your TV app. Um, so he started doing the show, and this was around 1985, 86. I was calling at the radio station every Monday night from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the morning. I would listen to the radio station. And I would call up and say, hey, they made, a, they made dedication. And so... They would read dedications over the phone, over the, you know, over the air, mm-hmm. over the air. So I would call up in 15 minutes. <laughs> College Queens, I like to put us up to my people from Farmers Boulevard, <laughs> everybody from O'Connor Park, Murdoch, Liberty, everybody from Queens, my man Joe Love, my man, you know, Cool J, and this one, and this one. So after a while, you know, there was like, you know, you know, two months Go by, they like, man, you clogging up the line, Geeky. Four or five minute dedication, dude. <laughs> this guy, is, you know, your shout out is empty, man. You, you come, why don't you just come up there and say your damn self? Because you just have uh, your lines and no one else can get on the phone because you got all these dedications. <laughs> you got this so 10 minutes of dedication. So they said, well, why don't you just come up and say, why don't you just come up and say your own dedication? I said, you awesome. y'all didn't say anything. I, uh-huh. So, I took the call to offer and I went up there. Uh-huh. I, I went, I got on the M6 and I got up there to Adelphi University and I was down, I got down with them immediately. Mm-hmm. So it was that thing happened, I started going up there every Monday. I started yeah. answering the phone. I started meeting all the guests that came up there, Run DMC came up there, DC Boys, um, Scholar Rock, Cash One, Bear Bada. Um, who else came up there? Uh, I think, who else? I believe that was it. DC Boys came up there a couple of times. JVC, JVC Force from Long Island. Um, uh, De La Soul. You know, mm-hmm. so the, a lot of people in hip hop, you know, Started breaking their records and songs up at BAU, especially, especially on uh, Run DMC. They was a regular. They used to come up and bring, you know, their albums and songs before and play them on BAU before anybody else heard them. Amazing, amazing. I'm going to cut you off right there, Gage. We got to uh, do a commercial and uh, pay some bills, but when we come back, I'm going to talk some more about this. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I'm hanging out with the author of the book, Kingdom Hall No More, Mr. Geechee Dan. And uh, we went through his introduction to Kingdom Hall, his uh, introduction to hip-hop. And uh, we were talking about uh, his uh, time working on the radio and, I mean, a real fundamental fundamental piece of hip-hop history a lot of the people that you know you've gotten to experience now um i, I read that it, i guess you're around 21 22 that you got uh, this fellowship from kingdom hall i'm wondering does it have to do with hip-hop that that happened no, no it had nothing to do with hip-hop okay okay are you able to share or yes i can um so it's, it's kind of i gotta speed it up a little so um okay so hip-hop I'm full-fledged in the game mm-hmm. on the underground level, in the neighborhood, and on the radio and everything. And I made a song called Let's Dance in 1986. Let's Dance. And Let's Dance. They played it on BAU. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a demo. I made the demo for, you know, just I just made it, you know, I made demos for the radio station. It caught the eye of Wild, Wild Pitch Records and and another label called Public Records. And that had to come, that came from 
uh, my conversation from, you know, meeting Mikey D over the mm-hmm. phone. I, I met Mikey D over the phone. He called. He liked my song. And I started hanging with Mikey D up in Lawrenton on Book Bar a lot. And um, as time went on, he was on public records. And he said, yo, why don't you take your, you know, your demo to, um, to, you know, my label? I said, fine. So I went to Manhattan. I took it. And he liked it and he gave me a recording contract. And I was 19 years old. <laughs> and... Um, the contract was, you know, was geared to, you know, pretty much my first contract was geared to rip me off. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But I wanted I wanted to have my song on the radio. I was, you know, real enthused about that. I was, you know, gun holding on, you know, pursuing, you know, music and hip hop. And my mother was like, my mother wasn't so keen on doing that. Make up. She wasn't going to make. She wasn't going to let that happen. She was not going to allow that to happen. She she was very like, look, if you decide to perform this nonsense on the radio and and and, and the parks and all that, that's nice and all that. But now you're talking about making a record. No, I don't think so. And if you decide to perform on a meeting night, make sure you and everything you you own is out of my home the next day. Oh wow! I had a, yeah, I had a situation where I was supposed to perform on a Thursday night. And Thursday night was meeting nights at the Kingdom Hall for, you know, for theocratic ministry school. And my mother was like, well, <laughs> uh, you can go. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying that, you know, uh, just make sure that, you know, everything you own is out of my house on Friday morning. Wow. So I was like, wow. So I couldn't do the show. And then as time went along, you know, the elders, you know, different brothers in the Kingdom Hall, would give talks, hey, we have individuals here in the congregation They want to pursue rap music and they want to be like LL Fool J and... Oh, wow. He, yeah, they used to, you know, mess up the names. They didn't know the real... They didn't know the names, even though they... LL and Run DMC was right in the neighborhood, but they was trying to be funny, you know. Gotcha, like, well, gotcha. People in here, hey, we, you know, and, you know, and it, and it, was, it was weird that they... They can say that because Michael Jackson was the biggest Jehovah's Witness at the time. True. Central artist in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Sly from the Sly of the Family Stone was a Jehovah's Witness. George Benson is still, you know, and was a Jehovah's Witness at that time. So I'm like, well, why is it that you're okay with these people making music? But when I make a song called Let's Dance, when I want to do hip hop, that's against the rules. That's, that's, that's not called for. And I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And you're giving me me hell doing, you know, what I want to do, but you're not giving them no problems. <laughs> you're still, still giving, getting contributions from, you know, money from them, and you, you, you know, ready to tell people, hey, we we have, you know, George Benson, he's a Jehovah's Witness, and Michael Jackson, you you'd be telling, you'd be quick to tell everybody this, but when it came to Daniel Chamberlain, no, I, I'm I'm sh- I'm shut down. You shut mm-hmm. me down. My mother went along with it. And that just pissed me off even more. <laughs> and um, now is the time that my mother was really getting hard on me. My mother was really, she turned, she turned it up, you know, 10 notches from from when I was 13 and, and, and 12. She turned it up, you know, triple. And she wasn't allowing me. She started locking me out the house. Oh. She started... You know, you know, I had to, if I, I started working on Wall Street as a messenger at the time, at mm-hmm. the World Trade Center. And if I didn't meet, if I didn't make the meetings after I get off work, my mother would lock the door and, lock, and, and she would double lock the doors and she could, she would make sure that I couldn't get in the house to eat dinner. If I missed the meetings, she would lock me out the house and I would have to come, I would have to resort to going to the meeting. Or I would have to sit on the step and wait till she get home. Oh wow! Yeah, she started getting she started getting buck wild with it. She like, <laughs> no, you know, and it was like I can't believe my mother's doing this. But my mother was, you know, really gun hold on you not allow me to pursue my um, my dream and my music. Mm-hmm. And I was really getting I was starting to get you know a, a name. I was starting to get a rep in the neighborhood about you know me rhyming and uh-huh. you taking out this person or rhyming freestyling. I was getting, you know, pretty good, you know. 
I was getting, I was getting to hip hop. You know, I was full fledged, <laughs> ready to go. And my mother was like, ah! stop tracks, pull the brakes. Yeah. So, um, around this time as well, I was supposed to receive a guardianship, my guardianship money, um, at 18 years old. And my mother, you know, tricked me uh-huh. into, um, obtaining that without, um, the correct way of doing things. She, um, forged my signature and, oh, wow. you know, you know, she did some crooked stuff. So I didn't get my, $46,000 that I was supposed to get at that time. Um, and then my mother presented me a uh, a contract that she drew up stating that for me to remain in the home, I have to get baptized in the next six months and become a full-fledged Jehovah's Witness. And if I don't agree to it, I won't get the remaining money that's left over from my guardianship account, and I will have to leave her home. Mm mm mm. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, man, this is so bad. You were at the end of the hour. I'm going to try to hear the rest of the story. I think I'm going to have to do like part two on this, this interview here. We, we've, we've exhausted the hour and I gotta, I gotta cut this all off. I'm so distraught. Uh, we gonna have to do part two. We have to do yeah, part we're two. gonna be. I mean, had to because I mean, people need to hear the rest. Rest of this, I didn't. I didn't get. I mean, this is this amazing stuff, and you know, like I said, we need to hear the rest and you know, life afterwards. I mean, I just think that it's a lot of information that could help people because you know. You hear so, like I said in the beginning, so many people know about Jehovah Witness, but they don't really know. You know, you, they're just those people that annoy us and knock on our door on Saturday morning, but they need to understand the deep behind it. Um, so I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do part two and, and call you back on here so we can finish this. But real quick before I get out of here, how do people pick up the book so they can uh, read your story and read the part that we didn't get to finish up with today? Um, my book is available on Amazon. Um, just type in Amazon.com forward slash the Kingdom Hall no more, and you'll see the reviews that I that I received over the. Um, I published a book in in 2008, and ever since then I've been getting interviews, and I've been doing. I have done TV, you know. I have done, um, um, you know, talk radio, blog talk radio, different shows, and so um, that's. Um, on uh, Amazon, and you're gonna you can order the book in Barnes and Nobles and pre-order it as well. And they'll okay. they'll bring you know they it's a, um you know they, you can pre-order the book at Barnes and Nobles as well. All right, all right, everybody, go to Amazon, pick up Kingdom Hall No More. My guest today has been Geechee Dan, aka Daniel Chamberlain. Uh, please, once I said, pick up the. Uh, Pick up the book, Kingdom Hall No More. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. That's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I'm your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week. <laughs>